William Peter Blatty was a student in the class of 1950 at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. when he heard about the alleged possession and subsequent exorcisms. The story fascinated the 22-year-old student to such an extent that it would later be the inspiration for his most famous novel, the novel that would become one of the most infamous horror movies ever made. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, horrors, and exorcisms. I am your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin, and for this Halloween season, we decided to explore the backstory of one of the most terrifying novels ever, The Exorcist by William Peter Blatty. The novel was first published in June of 1971. The following synopsis is from a later edition. Georgetown, Washington, D.C., 1973. Actress and divorced mother Chris McNeil starts to experience difficulties with her usually sweet-natured 11-year-old daughter, Regan. The child becomes afflicted by spasms, convulsions, and unsettling amnesiac episodes. These abruptly worsen into violent fits of appalling foul-mouthed curses, accompanied by physical mutation. Medical science is baffled by Regan's plight, and in her increasing despair, Chris turns to troubled priest and psychiatrist Damien Karras, who immediately recognizes something profoundly malevolent in Regan's distorted features and speech. On Karras's recommendation, the church summons Father Marin, a specialist in the exorcism of demons. Quote, I have never read horror, nor do I consider the exorcist to be such, but rather as a suspenseful supernatural detective story or a paranormal police procedural. End quote. A native New Yorker, Blatty was born on January 7, 1928. His parents would separate when he was a toddler and he was therefore raised by his deeply religious mother, who supported William and his four siblings by peddling homemade quench jelly in the streets of Manhattan. As a consequence, Blatty would reside in 28 different addresses during his childhood because of his mother's failure to pay rent. He would later study at Georgetown University on a scholarship, which meant very much to him as it was the first place he ever felt was a true home. It was also there he discovered that he had a talent for writing, and after earning a master's degree in English literature in 1954, he began submitting humorous articles to magazines. Ironically, William Blatty became first known as a talented comedic writer, after winning $10,000 as a contestant on Groucho Marx's quiz show, You Bet Your Life, he was able to quit his day job and dedicate himself to writing full-time. His four novels, published between 1960 and 1966, were hailed as comedic successes. The New York Times wrote about Blatty that nobody could write funnier lines than him and that he was a gifted virtuoso in the field. Regretfully, the sales numbers did not reflect that praise, and he began working on a movie script to make ends meet. 
1969, Blatty decided to return to novel writing, and he would do so by digging into the story he had heard during his time in Georgetown. The case that captivated Blatty was written about in the Washington Post and concerned an exorcism in St. Louis. His New Testament teacher would also tell him details of the case which he'd acquired from other sources. Like many Catholics, Blatty had battles of wavering faith over the course of his life and was going through one at the time. When he heard of the case, he thought that if someone could investigate and authenticate it, it would be the boost of faith he needed. The story revolved around the Hunkler family from a Washington, D.C. suburb. The 13-year-old son of the family, believed to be named Ronald, later known through several pseudonyms, including Roland Doe, was mourning the loss of his beloved aunt, who had been a spiritualist and introduced the boy to spiritual rituals, including how to use a Ouija board. Shortly after her death, strange and unexplainable events began to occur. There was the sound of scratching coming from the walls and the floor of his bedroom. Water began dripping inexplicably from pipes and down walls, but most disconcerting of all was that Ronald's mattress would suddenly move. Disturbed by the experiences, his parents sought help from doctors and psychologists. Finding no answers, they contacted their Lutheran minister who, not being able to help them, recommended them to reach out to the Jesuits. By the time Father E. Albert Hughes got the permission he needed to perform an exorcism, the 13-year-old boy had to be strapped down to his bed because of his erratic spasms. In one of these exorcisms, which followed from February 1949, the boy managed to break off a piece of spring from the mattress and lashed the priest across his shoulders. Father Hughes did not know what he could do further and ended the exorcisms. A few days later, red scratches appeared on the boy's skin. One of these scratches formed the word Lewis. The family took this as a sign that they needed to go to St. Louis, where they had family. In St. Louis, the Hunkler family moved into the neighborhood of Belle Noor in a house on Roanoke Drive. There, they were put in contact with Father Walter H. Halloran and Reverend William Bowden, who agreed to perform an exorcism on the teenager with the help of several assistants. They gathered at the residence in early March of 1949 and would experience similar occurrences as Father Hughes had in Washington, D.C. Scratches would appear on the boy's body, and the mattress would move violently. They also noted that during the daytime, Rommel was a calm, regular 13-year-old boy, but at night, after settling for bed, is when the strange behavior and inexplicable occurrences would manifest themselves. Ronald would, among other things, enter into a trance-like state where he would make sounds in a guttural voice. At one point, Reverend Bowden reportedly saw an X appear in scratches on Ronald's chest. This, the priest believed, signified the number 10, which eventually led them to believe that they were dealing with 10 demons. Although the priests did their best, by March 20th, things had become unbearable for Ronald's parents. He had began shouting and cursing at the priest and would urinate all over his bed. With few options, they decided to take the boy to Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. The priest continued to visit the boy at the hospital, and finally, after months of alleged possession, 
on April 18th, it all changed. Ronald awoke with seizures that day. He yelled at the priests, saying that Satan would always be with him. This led the priest to perform yet another exorcism, laying holy relics, crucifixes, medals, and rosaries on the boy. After several hours of struggling with the demons, Ronald would finally come out of his trance. He's gone, the boy said when he returned to himself. He recounted how he had a vision that St. Michael vanquished Satan on a great battlefield. After April 18th, there were no more documented instances of strange occurrences or behavior, and Ronald reportedly went on to lead a normal life. Blatty wrote a synopsis for the story, taking liberties with it in order to make it more engaging, and managed to get the attention of Bantam Press. They liked the concept and commissioned him to write it. He went to work on the novel and would write intensely for long periods, getting going at around 10 or 11 at night and right through dawn. It was a habit that, along with four packs of cigarettes and gallons of coffee, worked well for the time, but one he would eventually venture from. By 1970, he had written a first draft of the book, one he was satisfied with, but wouldn't get to do a second draft before decades later. Writing books was what he loved, but it wasn't paying the bills at the time, so when an offer came in for him to write a script, he jumped on it. He sent in the first draft to Harper and Rowe, who had bought the idea from Bantam Press for going a second draft. Harper and Rowe would put it out to every movie studio in town, but ironically enough, they all turned it down. Eventually, as most know, there would be interest in it, Forty years later, Blatty was finally able to write the second draft of his novel, and an updated edition was released in 2011. The novel would go on to reach great success, selling 13 million copies domestically and sit on the New York Times bestseller list for an incredible 57 weeks. William Blatty would also win an Academy Award for Best Screenplay, Although Ronald's head never turned 360 degrees, vomited green bile, or used a crucifix to masturbate, as in the book and the movie, and whether you believe in the story or not, there is no denying that some weird occurrences did happen during the filming and after the completion of the movie. For instance, the first set used in the shoot went up in flames. That is, except the room of the possessed girl Regan, portrayed by Linda Blair. Later, the fire would be credited to a bird flying into the electrical system. Furthermore, actors Jack McGowan and Vasiliki Malieros died shortly after the completion of the movie, McGowan dying of the flu at age 54 and Malieros of natural causes at age 89. In total, nine people involved in the production died either during or shortly after the completion of the movie some of these deaths included a security guard and Linda Blair's grandfather. Though not conclusive enough to affirm a curse, it might be enough to make you wonder, what exactly does exist beyond our comprehension? As usual, one final quote from the author. Good writing is rhythm. End quote. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason and Moore Harden. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, boo. <laughs> Keep turning those pages and happy Halloween. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden. <laughs>